Blog Talk Radio. My name is Michael LeColin, also known as the Brooklyn Trolley Blogger, and on behalf of my partners, I welcome you to episode number 52 of a Metsian podcast. Now, there's deep concern over our collective near future we here at the show share with you all, caring for ourselves, family, and friends, and continuing to contain the coronavirus still rules the day. That being said, our goal here at the Metsian podcast at the present time is to merely provide some respectful social dis- distraction. Uh, that being said, let's get this started. It's time for me to introduce my partners here. First, our COO and godfather of a Metsian podcast, Sam Maxwell. Hello, my friend. I got I got one a title new every week. I, I'll take the godfather as well. Uh, and of course, <laughs> I just have to get used to the COO. That's just gonna. It's gonna it's gonna be on in my obituary, which hopefully doesn't come that t- anytime soon. So, <laughs> thanks for welcoming, might, Michael. Glad to be here. You you might as well get a tattoo. You're stuck with it. And then hailing from Connecticut, <laughs> our, our tri-state brother in arms, Rich Sparago. Hello, my friend. Good evening, Mike. Hope everybody's holding up well, as you said in your intro, and looking forward to, um, as we affectionately call it, our hour or so of distraction. This evening's guest makes his return to a Metsian podcast. We're happy to have him back. Author of the New York Mets All-Time All-Stars, Brian Wright. Hello, sir, and how are you? I'm doing very well, uh, Mike. Uh, Rich, Sam, great to be on with all of you. Hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. I I loved uh, loved it the first time. I figured why not do another go-around. Brian, you're kind of breaking up on yeah, us a I'm, little bit. Oh, I apologize for that. Can you hear me out right now? Sam, what do you say we uh, ask him to hang up and call us back? you think that might work? Yeah, let me try that. Yeah, let me try that. Okay, go ahead. In the meantime, you know, let's go around the, around the horn here, guys. Uh, I, I was just noticing that baseball sports in general – you know, they closed up shop, I think it was May 13th or so, something like that. So, you know, we're over a month into this, you know, quote-unquote lockdown, uh, six weeks really. So, you know, how does the end of this particular week find you, Rich? Well, you know, Mike, I, I think it's at the point now where um, it's gone from being, you know, a unique thing and, you know, we had to just do what we had to do, and and I think I would be like a lot of people. I'm frustrated with it. Um, today was a day. I think the weather had a lot to do with it, where it would have been great to have some sports to watch. And and I, to be frank, you know, it's getting me a bit. You know, the, the lack of sports is, is uh, having a greater impact than it had been. Um, so, but on the other hand, on the positive side, you, you, I know you're a big hockey fan. Uh, 
as well. And the NHL is saying that they're going to get their people in camp around June 1st and, um, you know, do the finish the rest of the regular season, which is, you know, between five and eight games, depending upon the team. And then, uh, you know, do like a, a little bit of a modified, sort of like a round-robin playoff format, which would be great. So maybe there's some hope on the horizon. You know, the cases are going down throughout the tri-state area, the hospitalizations anyway. And so, you know, you start to see little glimmers of hope, and, and I think it's needed. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm interested to hear what the rest of you say, but today it got to me probably more than, than most because of the weather, I think. You know, not being able to get outside and thinking how great it would have been to have some sports to watch. Rich, you brought up a magic word, patience. We have Brian back with us. And, Brian, you know, depending on our, you know, respective and personal experiences, some people are at this for a week, I mean, excuse me, for a month, six weeks, some two months, some longer. Uh, and Rich brought up uh, the matter of patience. And I, I get the sense that the, the, the daily focus and the vigilance are coming under attack from cabin fever. Do, do you sense that people might be losing patience? And and how is your week? Most in, first and foremost, how is your week? <laughs> My week was good, and, and I'll repeat what I guess didn't come across the first time. I uh, great to be on with you guys. Uh, I loved it so much the first time. I figured I'd I'd come back again, and hope uh, you all and everyone listening is staying uh, safe and healthy. Um, it, it's interesting. I if you had asked me about a month ago, would I be patient and you know, uh, antsy for sports to return and I guess life to return to normal, uh, I would have said I, I would be just going nuts as, as, with regards to baseball specifically coming back. Um, I've been surprisingly okay. Um, you know, even this past, as this past week went on, I've, you know, I've kind of taken, um, uh, uh, kind of more appreciation or kind of uh, uh, buried myself, I guess, in watching older baseball games. In fact, uh, one game um, that I watched a little bit of that I just really found fascinating was the broadcast of the uh, 1969 World Series Game 4, which had like a, which was on YouTube. It had like a pregame show with um, Sandy Koufax and Mickey Mantle and, and just the whole general broadcast you know, from 51 years back was just really interesting. I find, I find it very interesting. I don't know if anyone else does. Uh, and I also enjoyed listening to the uh, Tom Seaver 19 strikeout game 50 years ago. Um, so that's how I'm kind of passing the time. And, and, and for the time being, I, I, I seem to be taking it well. You know, it just, it, it, it strikes me now that it's like we'd be a month into the baseball season and we'd probably be complaining about some lineup change or someone in the bullpen. Um, so maybe that's kind of relieving my stress a little. Sam, like myself, you're active out in the streets. How's it going for you? Um, it, it's going, you know. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm out of the car now, so I have my mask on. I just want to make sure you guys can hear me through it. Loud and clear. Yep. Excellent. So, uh, you know, it's um, – I love what Brian was saying about just, you know, diving deep into the history of it. And, and this has kind of given me, uh, you know, some perspective from, from a, a shameless plug personal standpoint of, of just trying to rev up my research and writing of uh, Bedford and Sullivan, the, the uh, story of Brooklyn and the Dodgers. And it, it's, you know, it's, it's seeing everybody at home binging. It's just, reminding me how important it is for, 
you know, uh, such a, a mammoth project that has so many different, uh, uh, you know, little intricate details that have to be picked up to pull something like that off, you know, now is the time to to rev research up again, and just just so I can I can get to uh, the the point that I I'm hoping to eventually get to, but um, and there's just so many different fascinating details in in the uh, the games that Brian's talking about that you know that 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 everybody can find something new, even if it's 50 years old. Uh, and, and just, I, I, I'm not sure if I've mentioned on this podcast, but Mike, I was telling you how I was listening to Game 7 of the 1955 World Series, and something that nobody had brought up to me was that a fan ran onto the field to try to get an autograph from Duke Snyder and got escorted off. I had never heard that before, um, and neither had you. Uh, and when I let you know about it, you know, you, you, you now know, and, and you know, everybody can... It, next time they listen to it or watch it, they can, uh, you know, try to remember that and pick it up, pick up on it. Um, so, you know, even though there isn't new baseball, there's so much content out there, and there's already so much sports constantly going that we forget to remember and we forget to to learn about what we are either already had learned about and just, you know, getting a little regurgitation uh, about it. But, uh, you know, it, it's, you're going to discover something you never even thought you, you would come across. So, it, it, you know, it, there, there are some positives to come out of such a dark time. Keep on trucking, folks. Brian, I want to circle back to your book, New York Mets All-Time All-Stars. Uh, we had a we had a, a fun time discussing it a few podcasts ago. A lot of fun. Uh, how are sales going? And 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 tell us about you know your latest developments and in, into how you're managing sales. Yeah, it's it's going well considering the circumstances. Obviously, uh, would have loved to have made uh, appearances up in the New York area and done interviews, which I had planned to do uh, around the week of opening day. But of course, that didn't happen. And and obviously, it's, that pales in comparison to the um, troubles of uh, people in, in New York, the New York uh, City area, and New York in general. Um, so it's, I look forward to coming back up, but I've tried to kind of reorganize uh, my plan uh, going forward. Uh, had a giveaway a few weeks back uh, um, for two books, and that went uh, well. Got a lot of demand for that, and I kind of parlayed that into uh, a kind of a new offer. Um, or a new kind of uh, 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 deal, I guess, going forward, or, or, or uh, promotion, so to speak, in which uh, part of the sales uh, would be donated to, at first, the New York City COVID-19 Response and Impact Fund, um, and that went very well. It got a lot of great response and a lot of money donated, um, which is just a small thing I can do, and, and uh, kind of uh, took that another step and uh, going forward, I plan to donate um, part of the sales uh, for my book to hospital for special surgery. So, um, and the only way to do that is to, to buy it directly from me. So, if anyone listening is interested uh, in a signed copy, uh, just let me know. I'm uh, at Brian Wright 86, and uh, you can send me a direct message, and I can tell you all about how to get a signed copy and help contribute to a really worthy cause at this time. Very good. Well done, gentlemen. Let's talk some baseball. And 
I warned you guys ahead of time. I'm throwing you a changeup. We're going to talk about being that this is episode number 52. We're going to talk about players in Mets history who worn the number. And we're going to do that first because one of the gentlemen on this list, he's very topical insofar as everything else going on in the baseball world, uh, insofar as the union, MLB, etc. cetera. Uh, so here we go. Number 52, players have worn the number in Mets history. Therefore, Joanna Cespedes, Carlos Torres, Ramon Ramirez, and Tony Clark, this is topical. Uh, they've all worn the number in this millennium. So, Rich, I'll go back to you. What say you? Well, you know, Tony Clark, um, according to my list, most recent to wear it. Um, actually, no, 2003. I'm sorry. I read that wrong. 2003. And, you know, Tony Clark, um, solid player, you know, obviously was around you know, with the Yankees. Remember with the Yankees, remember with the Padres, among other teams. And one year with the Mets, he's at this point of his career, at the point he played for the Mets, he was sort of in the journeyman phase, you know, the veteran bench player. Um as a Met, you know, solid bat off the bench on a bad team. Um, what I remember about Tony Clark, I, maybe you guys remember this, um, the 2000, uh, what was it, 2008 season, I believe it was, the Mets went to San Diego for a four-game series, and they lost the first three games 2-1. to one. And I remember Gary Cohen saying that it was like the Jan and Dean series, you know, because we're going to Surf City and you're going to lose, and because the ratio is two to one of the song. And the Mets had lost the first three games two to one. And then in the fourth game on the Sunday afternoon, the Mets had a lead, and Tony Clark came off the bench for the Padres, and I believe he had a grand slam to beat the Mets. So all that having been said, you know, Tony Clark is doing his job with the union, um, and he's doing what he gets paid to do. Which is rep- represent the players, and um, and and so you know he's very topical right now, um, and he's uh, you know I don't know if we want to get into this topic a bit later if you want to do it now, but Tony Clark is uh, you know kind of at, at odds with the ownership a little bit about the with owners in general about the um, the possible proration and then discounting a player's salary should the season resume so. Tony Clark, and then um, obviously if we're doing 52 all over the board, we have to mention, uh, well, we'll go to Carlos Torres for a moment. Solid reliever. Um, I remember he, uh, he was a, one of those guys he had to be called up by a certain date, and I believe it was 2013, and he had two solid years out of the bullpen uh, as, you know, for the Mets. Not outstanding, but certainly solid, reliable arm. And then there's Cespedes. Um, you know, Cespedes had a – Single impact in a short period of time, probably like no other. Maybe Don Glendennen, um, you know, in 69 comes to mind. Um, but Cespedes had that short-term skyrocket impact on the organization. Clearly they would not have gone to the World Series without him. And then when you think about Cespedes um, beyond that, I think what you think about is um, what could have been. You know, the Mets signed him for that enormous amount of money for one season in 2016. He, he, uh, he had a lot of – missed a lot of time in the middle of the year, had a solid stretch down the end to help them get into the wild card game, and then they signed him to the four-year deal, and, and he's hardly played, essentially. So so those are my thoughts on number 52. You know, we, as fans, we say a lot of things, and, and we say a lot of things on this podcast, and it's rare that we really revisit things that we say – uh, here's my moment of honesty. You went to Cespedes. I was one of those guys, Rich. I wanted him re-signed to big money. 
so there's my little bit of honesty. We revisited it, and uh, I admit it. So there I am. Sam, I know before we get into the business of baseball, you want to get your yayas out on your UN assessment as well. Yeah, and uh, I will go ahead and start with that. You know, it's, it's, he's one of my favorite players ever. Um, I, I just love watching Cespedes play. Uh, and, and just how powerful, how strong he is, it might be one of the things that he's so strong that it kind of gets in the way of, of his, his conditioning. Like, there's so many different big moving parts that it, it, it might just be what is wearing him out that, you know, so much faster, crazy enough. Um, and it, it's unfortunate, you know, I, I thought, especially whether it's just the money motivation or not, you know, he had lost a lot of the money and he seemed determined to prove to everybody, you know, they were making hype videos and everything, um, for, you know, for it to be his, in his last, uh, contract year with the Mets. Um, and, and I throw that out there cause there isn't, you know, it, I, who, for one thing, the Mets are probably going to want to move on. But it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that they'll sign him to some sort of incentive-laden one-year deal, especially whatever, however they're going to be negotiating with, with these, you know, just factoring in the fact uh, of all these missed times with these contracts. Um, however they're going to do it, maybe they want to do that. Who knows? So it's not necessarily uh, the end of Yohan Cespedes' time uh, as a New York Met, uh, but it most likely is the end of his time as a New York Met. And it's sad that that's one of the repercussions of this coronavirus from a baseball standpoint, from a Mets baseball standpoint, because I was looking forward to looking forward to him. Because who knows, you know, we didn't, we didn't know when he was going to be coming back. We didn't know if he was coming back anytime soon. But I, I missed that about the anticipation of baseball, that about the anticipation of the Mets is the fact that, I, I, I don't know what to anticipate with Giannis Cespedes, and it's unfortunate that his Mets career may be over. Um, moving to some other players, you know, it's interesting. It, Mike, I, you, you were saying that it wasn't that long of a list, but um, it might not be that long on baseball reference. However, on ultimatemets.com, it's 19 uh, players long. Uh, Carlos Torres was the, the last one to wear it before Ioannis Cespedes came. Uh, and, and Carlos Torres, I, I thought he did a great job uh, out of the bullpen before they, the team was good around him because he wasn't all that solid, if I remember correctly, in 2015. Um, and what's, what's interesting about this number, too, is that it seems like Randy Neiman is the village bicycle of, of uniform, Mets uniform numbers because Randy Neiman's name just keeps coming up with a different uniform number. So it's funny to see his name here on uh, John Springer's list. Uh, Don Baylor is listed here, uh, most likely because of a, a coaching job. Razor Shines. I remember Razor Shines when he came to spring training 2009 was just, just the most excitable personality. He was constantly talking about, uh, about uh, like, even when, when players like Daniel Murphy were taking uh, fly balls or shagging fly balls, he'd be like, that's not going to get you a ring. That's not going to get you a ring. That's not going to get you a ring. And that's what I remember about Razor Shines. Um, 
he was certainly uh, right that, you know, the way Murphy was playing the outfield was not going to get anybody a ring. And that, that still rings true, no pun intended, pun intended, I guess, actually. Um, yeah, so when that's really where Joe Tegnitano showed up again as a, as a coach with this number. Uh, from 1968 to 1981, so he was on the he was a coach for both the 1969 and 1973 teams, and then many many other teams that we have talked about here and there on this uh, this uh, uh, podcast. And yeah, I think that that rounds out my number uh, 52 talk. Uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, the only thing I'll say about Tony Clark. Um, is that he, he does seem to represent the players well. Um, you know, I, I, I sometimes think that he probably should give, uh, especially just the way Manfred's handling everything, like, like the travel is really where I'd love for, for, like, just figuring out the schedule based around travel because there's some really ridiculous games where you're doing the ESPN game. And then players have, anyway, without going down that road, that's something I would love to see a little bit more fight on from the player's side of things. But I always remember Tony Clark also was the only one to wear, only other one other than Mr. Met to wear double zero. So that's, that's a little fun Tony Clark Met thing. Uh, yeah, so that wraps me up with uh, number 52. And just to be clear, I'm going off the baseball reference list, and you're going off uh, Met's ultimate database. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so Brian. Which is and then, final word on number. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Brian, final word on number fifty-two players. Uh, no, I think you all covered it. I think the uh, the list on baseball, baseball reference, uh, which uh, Sam mentioned, and I, and I'm looking at it as well. I think that includes uh, coaches as well as players, and I think there are. I think just guessing. I think of maybe maybe four players that in fact have worn uh, worn fifty-two. And clearly the best at Cespedes. I mean, he was a rocket ship uh, when he came on board to the Mets in in, uh, in 2015 at the trade deadline. And when he's healthy, he is an impact player. And unfortunately, it's it's a big underline and his Halex under, uh, with you know when he's healthy because that's that's been far and few but uh, few and far between. Um, it's too bad, um, as you guys pointed out, because I think. You know, I feel that he could have been healthy enough this year to provide 100 at bats. You know, uh, or not say 100 bats, 100 games worth of at bats. Maybe you know, I don't know how many, but 300 at bats or something like that. I think that would really, really help the Mets' offense. Um, is there a chance he could still be an impact player this year? I have no idea. And could he play beyond this year? That's unknown as well. Um, but he's done enough. Uh, his impact for that, that short period of time that he was he has been with the Mets um, definitely clearly puts him as the best to wear that number. Um, I, I, like you, Mike, I was in favor of re-signing Cespedes after the 2015 season, um, having no idea that he would become as fragile as, as he would be uh, later on and, and ever since. So um, that's my thought. those are my thoughts on, on 52. I always, thought, I always remember Tony Clark as being double zero. I <laughs> always thought he might have stolen the jersey from Mr. Matt, uh, or he just didn't, didn't include the big head. But uh, I always remember Tony Clark as double zero, and I remember also the Detroit Tiger as well at the beginning of his career. Hang in there, folks, because some of these breakups in communication, I think, is something uh, much widespread going on because it happened during Rich, Sam, myself, and Brian speaking. Can everyone hear me clearly now, gentlemen? 
Yeah, I got you, Mike. Yes. Yeah. All right, so into the business of baseball we go. Uh, circling back, Tony Clark, he's uh, currently the executive director of the Major League Baseball Players Association. Uh, and getting this season going is very contentious. Uh, we have a commissioner who's trying to ramrod everything. And, and Rich, you brought up the subject of uh, players' salaries, players wanting more. Uh, owners wanting to pay less, things of that nature. So I'll let you pick up that discussion. Well, you know, last week I believe it was we were talking about Jeff Wilson, who was quoted as saying, yeah, you know, we, we've negotiated with the players union for prorated salaries. We did that in March, but March 26th, you know, the, the day opening day would have been. That was all figured out. He said, but, you know, if we play in front of no fans – Fans are what forty. We think we landed on some somewhere around forty percent um, fan. You know, ticket sales, parking, concessions, merchandise. You know, on-site on stuff that they'd be missing. So the players should share in some of that um, and be willing to give back to the salary, not just pro rate, but also discount. And so we kind of you know trashed Jeff Wilpon for it. And as it turned out, though, maybe he wasn't the only one who feels that way because the article that I sent to you guys today. Um, it seems as though the owners that they were, I don't believe there were any specific quoted, but it's among ownership, like the, the owners and the players in general now are going at it about that point where owners are saying, you know, if we are foregoing a large part of revenue, you as players should not only be willing to take prorated salaries, but you should also share in some of the, uh, the discounting, you know, the, the lack of income. So that's a very contentious point. Tony Clark, Tony Clark's quote in that article was very crisp. He basically said that was decided, it was negotiated, you know, case closed. So, and he really has every right to say that. You agreed to it, you signed it, it's it's an agreement, and it's done. Now, should he reopen that? I mean, because maybe when they, on on March 26th, the the odds of, uh, or the thought of, the fact that if the season does get going, it it will be an empty stadium, um, you know, so should he reopen it? I don't know. I mean, I suppose he could. He doesn't have to, and and, he, and certainly his contingent doesn't want him to. So, But now we have a problem on our hands, right? Houston, we have a problem because we want baseball to get going. It's possible. If, if hockey could do it, baseball could do it. But now, in addition to guys being away from their families, you know, and, and this odd thing where they're playing maybe in Florida, Arizona, and Texas, or any one of the three of those, um, with no fans, now we have labor trouble. And now we have a situation where Tony Clark has to go at it, you know, with Rob Manfred and, and his minions to try to figure out what they're going to do. We, because Tony Clark is not only dealing with the potential discounting of salaries, he has guys who are probably blowing up his phone saying, you know, hell no, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not going to be away from my family for four months. So there's a lot going on for Tony Clark. You know, he's got his plate full. That, that's where I um, – that's where I would leave it with Tony Clark is, um, you know, he did something in, in late March. Great. Now they want to undo it and redo it. That's a pain in the butt. And I'm sure he's getting an earful from the people he represents who have a lot of different opinions about this, their safety, you know, their, the safety of their family, being away from their family. Uh, you know, somebody said, uh, it was a, a quoted player, I can't remember who it was, said, you know, if we – decided to do this and play in Arizona in July and August. He goes, what if a guy collapses of heat exhaustion on the field? What are you going to do then? 
So there's a lot out there, and Tony Clark has his hands full. Still seems to be having a couple of issues. Uh, I hope everyone can hear me clearly. Uh, I will only add, well, I should say I, I continue to add layers to this. Scott Boris argues that the 2020 contract should be honored uh, on a prorated basis. That sounds fair. Uh, at this moment, let me inject one of our questions from Twitter, which is uh, related to this matter, uh, it comes on Twitter, at JLC1962-2000. And he says, with the animosity building between the Major League Baseball Players Association and MLB, do you think a possible work stoppage would occur in 2021? Would they dare go there? Uh, I will first answer it by saying that the present agreement, the present collective bargaining agreement expires in December of 2021. Uh, and it's been in place uh, as of November 2016. So I guess we can rephrase the question. And Brian, would the relationship over the next year somehow instigate potential of a strike in 2021? Uh, I, you know, in the amount of time I've been, you know, without, we've all been without baseball, I've been kind of looking up uh, just kind of just, the, you know, the history in past years. And, and for some reason, I came across uh, the strike of 94 and what led to that. Uh, the circumstances are a little different. I, you know, the, the, the big problem in 93 into 94 uh, was the disparity of, uh you know, big market clubs versus small market clubs. And that even though they went on strike and obviously came back, it really didn't end for a while, that kind of disparity. Um, but I, I, this, you know, uh, this issue right here, I mean, I don't blame the players for feeling the, uh, not only the concern about, or, or the, the concern on their health and the fact that they're leaving their family for a long period of time, uh, but also the potential of some players not getting paid as much. Uh, I certainly understand it. Um, they they do have, a, a, I think, a reason to be to, to feel like to have a grievance here. Um, it, I feel like there are so many small parts that can't that aren't going to you know fit the the players' needs. That this could be what you know halts them from playing, you know, whatever, you know, June or, or whatever it might be. It might kind of delay things a bit. And on top of that, um, you know, this could be, you know, a, 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 another uh, uh, kind of sticking point that the players will use to, you know, go on strike come the end of this labor deal, which is in 2021. So it's very interesting. Uh, this is kind of a new wrinkle in what I think was, uh, a really developing situation with even without this this coronavirus uh, scenario. So Sam, you got everything on the table. What a tangled web baseball weaves. I will also add, and this is Rich's point: uh, season ticket holders and major league clubs reimbursing them. Uh, football is looking into that if they haven't done so already. So let's say you. I heard that class action lawsuits are being brought to MLB, and to even let it get to that point is such atrocious customer service, such atrocious customer relationships. Um, it's yet another notch we can we can look towards Rob Manfred. Rob Manfred had a chance to really make or break uh, his commissioner's 
you know, we had criticized him for many, many reasons leading up to this moment as to why he hasn't been a good commissioner. Um, 1994 was, was framed as uh, millionaires versus billionaires. That's not, you know, that's not what we're, we're thinking about right now. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not in a type of, of um, environment where we're disparaging the players because they make boatloads more money than the other. We understand that they're still human beings and, and we're understanding, we have a better understanding of the game as, and, and the game should have a better understanding of us. And Rob Manfred doesn't seem to have any understanding to the fans he has, what makes baseball sell, and how you're supposed to properly bring in new fans. Um, so, and, and in terms of, like, the labor strife, and, and I, I think it's up to Bob Manfred to make sure after losing most likely the entire season that there's no way, shape, or form or reason that we need to miss any more games. And whatever he needs to do to make sure that is that's what's going to happen, he needs to do it. Because it just seems to keep getting worse and worse for whatever legacy he's going to leave behind, however long he's here. I have to ask again, am I the one experiencing communication problems, or is this everyone? No, it might be a blog talk. If you can hear me like that, I mean, right now you're smooth, but maybe it's a blog talk radio thing because it, it's been on every single one of your voices. Right. Yes. All right, Justin. Yeah. So uh, we have A-Rod and J-Lo back in the picture as potential bidders, I should say, of the New York Mets. Uh, that, along with those in the New York Post article saying that the sale of X and Y is also, uh, you know, an obstacle in any potential sale. So, either scenario, you know, what say you, Rich? Mike, I, I miss that entirely. Um, do you think maybe I was thinking the same thing, Rich. Um, I'm not sure if you guys can hear me, but I believe Rich just said we're going to take a pause. Uh, Mike, you call the, the host line again, um, and we're all going to call back into into here. Ladies and gentlemen, we will be right back uh, in a matter of a minute or two. Hold on, hold on. Say that again because that was broken up for me. We're all hanging up and calling back in? We're all hanging up and calling back. <laughs> Who's got the dashboard, me? Yeah. Okay. All right, we'll see you all in a second. It's still it's still broken up right now, unfortunately. Um maybe uh uh sorry ladies and gentlemen, we've never had uh, to deal with this before. Mike, do you want me to call into the host? Whatever you think might rectify this, or if you want to cross your fingers and continue mission, it's up to you. Let's let's switch the gears. Uh, <laughs> this is fun fun live radio, everybody. Full service podcast. I'm going to call into the host line. Everybody else call in the guest line. I'll, we will all talk in a second. Stay tuned.
still sounds broken up. <sighs> um, guys, should we? Uh, at, at 52 minutes left. Should we call it? Say that again. Mike, you there? I'm here. All right. Uh, it's it's really it's obviously Blog Talk Radio's fault, um, but I can hear you now. If you want to continue, still problematic. Oh man, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not sure if you can hear me, but we may have to uh, uh, cut this off and continue another time. You're very clear now. Yeah, now it's just not clear. <laughs> All right, let's take our chances. Let's take our chances. Welcome back to episode 52 of the Metsian Podcast. Brian, I'm going to hand the controls over to you. You got something set up I think we're going to have a lot of fun with. Uh, the Mets Greatest Moments Bracket. Take it away, Brian. You're the host. We're the guests now, so you control the dials, my friend. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yes. Well, uh, I appreciate you letting me uh, kind of promote this because um, at Metsmerize Online, uh, me and a few others uh, are starting up a, uh, a greatest moments bracket. Uh, we're going to have 64 uh, moments, of, you know, seated 1 to 16 in each region, and each region uh, is broken down by, uh, by time period. So, uh, region number one is from 1962 through 1979. Uh, the second region is from 1980 through 1995. Uh, the third region is from 1996 to 2010. Uh, and uh, the final region, of course, is from 2011 to the present. Um, so I thought it would be good to maybe uh, go around uh, the, the room, in quotes, and get everyone's thoughts on um, kind of the – the, the top moments, uh, obviously the, the, the ones that stand out from 1963 to 1979 uh, include uh, the World Series victory and uh, the pennant uh, in 73, um, but I wanted to uh, get everyone's opinion on just maybe some moments uh, that may not be uh, among the top ones. Uh, so, Mike, if you want to start it off, just some general thoughts as far as um, – some great moments that you can recall from uh, that 62 to 79 time period. From 1962 to 1979, that's the year I became passionate about the Mets. Uh, I'd have to say game one in Mets history back in 1962. I'd have to say the opening of Shea Stadium. I would have to say the National League playoffs and obviously the World Series of 69. And 73, I would point to Tom Seaver's 19 strikeouts and Jerry Kuzman winning number 20. All right, Rich, uh, any thoughts from you? Well, you know, if you're looking at that bracket, Brian, I, I, you obviously have to talk about the, uh, the World Series win, you know, the last uh, ball being Davey Johnson being the fly ball to Cleon Jones, of course. Well, you know, some things that maybe people don't think about in that time frame. How about the 1979 All-Star game where Lee Mazzilli, who was really all we had. I mean, come on. The 1979 team, the Mets didn't have much, but we had Maz, you know, Brooklyn-born Maz. And here he was um, hitting a home run. 
and he also, I believe, walked walked to drive in the winning ultimate winning run. So you had that. Um, you had some individual moments from Seaver where he won a bunch of Cy Youngs in that time period. So I'm not sure if that's a, if we could point to one particular moment, but uh, Seaver's achievements there. And I'll throw one at you that our friend Big Red Ruckus threw back at me um, last week that I thought was fantastic, and that is the ball-on-the-wall play in the mm-hmm. 1973 pennant drive. I want to talk about a moment where you know, I remember I was a, a little kid at that point, you know, just starting to know what the heck was going on. But after that happened, of course, I was in bed. I was, you know, heard about it later. Uh, but after that happened, where the Mets were on this improbable run, and they were in last place in August, they're on this improbable run, and how weird was that? You know, that the Pirates, the team that they were chasing, the Pirates were going to win the game in extra innings at Shea. Uh, ball was clearly going to go over the fence, and, oh, the Mets are going to be squashed back down. Lands on top of the fence, goes straight up in the air to Cleon Jones. He throws it into Wayne Garrett, who had been put in at shortstop, uh, because of some double uh, double switching or whatever, pinch hitting for Buddy or whatever it might have been, to Ron Hodges at the plate to get an improbable out that really propelled them through the rest of September. So for an individual moment, that ball on the wall play, what it meant in context and, and the feeling it gave the Met fan base that, you know, wow, they're really going to pull this off. You know, it almost seemed like God was on our side at that point. So I would say that was a great moment. You know, again, I'll throw in the Mazzilli one just to try to give you some different moments that, that maybe people aren't thinking about in that time frame. Yeah, that's a, that's, uh, that play one in a million play. It's pretty, you know, it's like a few inches further. It goes beyond the fence, of course. There's a few inches shorter. It, like, takes some crazy ricochet and it doesn't bounce right to Cleon Jones. For it to just hit the top of the fence and bounce so cleanly back to him and then he throws to Garrett and then to Hodges, it's just incredible. And then Hodges gets the game-winning hit uh, in the bottom half of that inning uh, after they prevented uh, the Pirates from scoring to go ahead and run. Uh, I think they pulled within a game of first place or, or something, or maybe they tied them or or something like that, because I think the next day is when they... Uh, any additional thoughts for you? Because that was to me. Unfortunately, I heard none of it. Hello, anybody there? Yeah, I can hear Mike, you. Mike, you there? Uh, breaking up a little bit. I'm here. I'm here. Uh, it is, uh, we've, unfortunately, uh, you know, we're having technical difficulties that we've never happened. Can you hear me, Mike? I hear you. You're breaking up, but I'm hearing you. Yeah, and I hear you guys that you're very broken up. We were doing real well for a long time, and then in the middle of Rich, it broke up. Um, I think you're right. right. Maybe one night just we can get the team back together and we can try it again. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm, I'm really uh, happy that you guys have uh, allowed me to, to do this, so I would love to do it again. Can you guys hear each other better than you can hear me? I can't hear you guys very well. I, everyone seems to be broken up. Um, I wish I could keep you guys. 